Before I get into God's Word, I want to give uh, one last quick announcement because it's starting this week about our new uh, Wednesday discipleship classes. And uh, I want to invite Jim to join me up here. So uh, we're going to, if you hadn't heard yet, it's starting this Wednesday. Uh, We are going to be, I'm sure this is on for you. Here you go. We're going to be starting a new uh, way of discipling on Wednesday nights. And it's a series of classes that you can go through. And if you take advantage of the full thing, it's a three-year process for all the classes that we have lined up for you. And we're really encouraging every person in this church to consider. I don't know what your normal Wednesday night looks like or what your normal Wednesday night schedule is or if you always are here or if you've never come out before. But we really want this to be a church event that we can grow together in this process. And uh, there's going to be two options for you. Uh, as, as you go walk through this discipleship process, one option is to go down a track in a series of, of Bible classes, uh, whereas this, this uh, Wednesday, we're going to start a class that's called Bible Overview, where we take a look at the entirety of Scripture, and these are 10-week classes, so that's a tall order, but uh, the advantage of being able to do a class like that is to see some of the wide-ranging themes that run through Scripture and uh, ways that the Old, Old Testament connects to the New Testament. We're going to even spend some time on the intertestamental period, that, that 400 years between the Old and the New Testament, and what happened during that time period. And, you know, you get to the New Testament, and the world that Jesus was a part of was so different than what was represented in the Old Testament. How did that change happen? And, and so we're really going to go through the history of Scripture and get a good overview, and it will help you in your future look at the Scripture. You know, when you open a book, you can kind of place... This is where I am in the story of God, you know. And uh, so that is the class that I'll be leading and uh, encourage you guys to come out to it. And Jim is also going to be leading a class which kicks off the other track of this discipleship process, which is about uh, Christian living. What does it mean to live out your Christian life? And uh, if you'd like to follow that track, uh, that this is the place you'd want to start. And I'm going to let him talk about his class a little bit so you know what to expect with him. Well, since I got a mic, it's on. Since he's go. already introduced me, I am Jim Brewer. For those of <laughs> you that don't know me, um, I'll be leading a class based on a book by A.W. Tozer. It's called The Pursuit of God. Um, Tozer believes that we as a church have forgotten the majesty of God. So we're going to revisit some of his words and some of his ideas around that. Um, it's not necessary to have the book. Uh, we're not going to be going through the book chapter by chapter, but it will be the guide for the study. So I hope you can make it. Uh, if you choose, we'll be meeting in the uh, chapel initially, and if if uh, if the out if the out I mean if the attendance requires, we'll move to room one hundred and three in the new wing. All right, sounds good. So again, that starts this Wednesday. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. And uh, we really hope you can make it out. My class will be starting in the atrium, and his will be in the chapel over here. Uh, and uh, it's Wednesdays at 7. So please, we really encourage you. This would be awesome if, the, you know, as a church body, we can walk through this discipleship process together. And it would be so beneficial. So, All right. Well, we'll get into God's Word here this morning. And if you have your Bibles or want to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 12. So you can turn there and get prepared when we get to uh, the Word here in just a moment. I'll let you know what we're talking about today. And it is uh, something I think is really, really important. It's, it's a fundamental of, of what it means to be a Christian. 
And uh, I think I've, I've shared this a lot. So we've talked about this recently in, our, in the Bible study that I've been doing on Wednesday nights up until this point. Um, but uh, one thing that can happen, I think, with Christianity is a lot of layers get put on it. You know, there's so much to get busy with and so many things that concern us. Uh, and, and every once in a while, there's some benefit to just saying, okay, at its core, what is important here? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of things in life about that, right? And um, it's it just life can get crazy. Any aspect of life can get crazy. And every once in a while, you just got to step back and say, what's the core thing here? What's the foundational principle that I might be missing because everything else is just overshadowing it? You know, I think about how that happens in times in life. And maybe your job's getting crazy or, you know, schedule's insane or you're having problems, something's broken in your house or you're having money issues. And, you know, all these things cloud out. And all of a sudden you realize, man, I just, I haven't been with my family. You know, you're like, it's so, it's so easy to let some of those core things slip when everything else starts piling up. And that's, I think, the importance of this message this morning. And it's a reminder we need to give ourselves every once in a while of what the core of Christianity is and one of the main things that Christ called us to. And the cool thing is the way this works, and I'll give you another example that Jesus did, which is not really related to this passage here this morning. Uh, but, you know, Jesus was in a conversation one time about somebody, about what it means to be a disciple and, you know, what following commandments and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Jesus said, what did Jesus reply? You remember this probably. Just love the Lord your God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. He said we can sum up the entire law in those two statements. So I, I think this is something Jesus liked to do, recenter people, you know. He's saying, you know, you're worried about this law and that law and this commandment and how do I follow this and what do I do? And he said, I'll tell you what, if you boil it down to these two lines, the rest will figure itself out. And that's the cool part about living life with fundamentals, with fundamental truths, things that ground you. Is because more often than not, if that's what you focus on, all those other worries that you have, they seem to work themselves out pretty good. You know, they seem to take care of themselves. And, I, and this is one of those. This is, this is, this is one of those that happens. And, and in a nutshell, it has to do with the fact that we as Christians need to devote everything that we are to God. That's, it sounds that simple, right? But I think it's something that we fail. I think so often we compartmentalize things. We, we um, give Christ parts of ourselves holding on to other parts, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, when, and it sounds so simple, but it's something that's really universal if we think about it. God needs all of who we are. And let me tell you where I think we, we missed the mark. And this is another thing I was sharing in the Bible study here a few weeks ago, so you may have heard this. And uh, is that often I think what happens is we're going through life. We have our family. We have our job. We have our schooling or whatever it is, all the parts of our life. And you get to this point where you're like, something's missing, right? You know, something's missing. And then every once in a while, someone says, maybe it's God. Maybe I need to put God into the equation. Let me go find a church that says all the things that tickles my ears and makes me happy. And, uh, you know, so I can just fill in that little hole that I have in my life. And God ends up becoming this add-on. You know, he, he ends up being, you know, the, the, pe- the last piece of the puzzle. I, I've, I've completed my puzzle. I've got all 999 pieces. But there's still that one piece, and, and I need God to stick it in there. And do you see what's wrong with that picture? 
You know, do, do you see how that fails? I, Leah makes fun with me all the time. But anybody here, she laughs at me when I bring this up, but I think it's a funny example. Anybody here remember, because I remember him from when I was a little kid, there was a guy that used to do kid Christian kid videos called the Donut Man. Anybody here? You know what I'm talking about, right? Do you remember the song he used to sing? So life without God's love is like a donut. There's a hole in the middle of your heart. <laughs> and I was looked at my wife one day, and I'm like, that is so theologically wrong. You know, we don't give God the hole in our heart. We give him all of our heart. And she's like, oh, it's a kid's show. Give it up. So, but, you know, and, but I've heard other songs, you know, that my heart has a God-shaped hole. And it and, and honestly is a concept that we, we lend credence to sometimes. And I know that's silly, but in all seriousness, you know, God doesn't fit in a hole that is left behind when everything else is already there. He's everything. He needs to be everything. He's not an add-on. He's not a just completion, you know, to our life. He's everything. And, and this, this passage hits on that right there a little bit. You know, when Paul talked about becoming a Christian, he often used the, the example of baptism. And this is why baptism is so important. And we need to make sure that we don't lose this part of it. You know, why it's important to be baptized as a believer. Because when Paul talked about baptism, he said, what that means is when you go down into the water, you're dying. It's a death. It represents being buried with Christ. And when you come back up, you're a new person. You know, becoming a Christian isn't just about, oh, okay, I'll be a Christian so I can have the cool things that God now adds to my life. And let me tell you, he adds really cool things to your life. But it's, it's not just about so I can change a little bit here or there or, you know, be complete in this area I was lacking in. It's literally a death. It's literally you dying to yourself of saying that old person is dead. That old person is gone. And I am a new creation in Christ. And I wonder how often we take the time to remember the importance of that death that needs to happen in our life. And Jesus went even further to say, it's not just a one-time death, it's daily taking up your cross. It's, it's, it's a lifetime process of letting things in your life that need to die, die. <laughs> and bringing a resurrection to things, letting Christ resurrect a new creation in you. Our lives, you read, Paul does this all the time, are constantly compared to Christ's death and resurrection. And that is our life. It's a dying to our old self and resurrecting to something new. The passage we're going to look at is Jesus talking about his own death and resurrection. It's not long. The, the, the setting for this story here, he's talking to his disciples in, in John 12, and it's, it's not long before he's ready to face the cross. He's already entered Jerusalem. It's the final days of his life here on earth. Um, as they knew it in that moment. And so a lot of what he said during these times were, was preparing his disciples for, for what was about to happen. And in this passage, he tries to put some perspective on why his death was important. And then he flips it, and he says, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then he basically looks at his disciples, and this is why you need to do it too. So that's the essential message today. So I'm going to go ahead and read from John 12. We're going to start in verse 23 and read down through 27. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth. 
unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. Or other translations say it just remains a single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. So he's speaking of himself there. Okay? He's, he's looking at himself and he's preparing them for the death that he's about to have. But he's saying why this death is important. Because, you know, I mean, think about it. What can be greater than Jesus on earth? <laughs> like, that's pretty amazing, right? And Jesus is saying there's something better coming than me here being with you, talking with you every day. You know, another place in, later in John, he said, it's good for me to leave. You know, I'm going to send the Spirit. And so he's telling them what needs to happen is a good thing. It may seem horrible, but this death is so necessary. And so he's talking about himself. And this is where he flips it in verse 25. He says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for this life, for their life in this world, will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me. Because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now... My soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for your dedication to who, to your mission and to why you came to earth. To be willing to go to the furthest extreme. To be who you were meant to be as you became a human on this earth. God, I pray that you can help us with the same. Help us to follow you, even when it's really, really hard, God. We thank you for this. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is a, this is a challenging and powerful word from Christ. He's talking life and death here. He's trying to prepare his disciples for his own death. And then, and we'll get to this later in the message, but then he turns it on him. So he's, he's, it's a little cryptic, and, and there's times where you wonder how, just how much the disciples understood what was actually happening here. Uh, they, they will soon enough understand everything Jesus was talking about. And, you know, there seems to be a lot of times where dry, Jesus is trying to get the message across, and they're just not getting it. So I don't know how fully they understood what Jesus was actually saying here, but they got it eventually. But, again, ultimately he's saying, I have to die it's good that I die, and then you have to follow me. So connect those dots. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's some serious talk. Right? That's, a, that's a major challenging word. But I love, I absolutely love the illustration or the analogy that Jesus uses with this. He talks about a kernel or a seed. A kernel of wheat is the specific one that he brings up here. And, and so he compares his present life, where he was speaking those words, with a kernel of wheat. And he says, look, this kernel right here, unless it dies, unless it ceases to become what it is in this moment, it will never realize its full potential. It'll just continue to be alone. It'll be a single seed. This is all it will ever be, this tiny little kernel of wheat. But if it dies, if it's, if it's willing to cease being what it is right now, you can see the results, you know. You can see a field of wheat. You can see how amazing that becomes. When you think about it, seeds are just one of those things that, um, you know, and I've probably spent in preparing for this message more time thinking about seeds than I really did most of my life, you know, but I was just spending time thinking about some seeds, especially like trees, you know. How about an apple seed, for an example? 
Um, you just, they're so tiny, and for the most part, we just, you know, they're annoying because that just means you bit too far into the apple when you hit the seed, right? You're like, oh, I bit too far, and there's nothing worse than biting too far into an apple. So, but you just hold up this little, this little seed. It's a bit of nothing. If I had one in my hand, you probably couldn't even see it, you know? And so I could tell you I have one in my hand. You'd believe me. But eventually, it will become this amazing tree, this huge apple tree, which is just massive, bigger than any one of us, could feed hundreds of people for decades, isn't that a pretty cool thing? And I mean, so the analogy of a seed, I, just, I think that is such a cool analogy that Jesus brought up. But what he's saying here, I think, is saying right now, I and you guys are nothing but a bunch of potential. That's what we are right now. We're potential. We are ready to become something. Jesus said, I'm ready to become something bigger than I am right now. I'm ready to, you know, it's kind of strange because he's God. How do you get bigger than God? But he's saying, look, unless I do what I need to do, you know, I can't become the, the potential of what this is supposed to become. And he turns that on us and he says, that's like the same with you. If you love your life, if you try to hold on to what you are right now, just a tiny little seed, that's all you'll ever be and you will lose it. That's it. You know, I, th- I think it's, it's similar when he was getting on the, the Pharisees for being hypocrites. And, you know, he says that he said, as if, you, if, you're, if all you care about is how people see you and you looking holier than thou, he said, you're going to get it, but that's the only reward you're ever going to have. <laughs> you know, so he says, what you want out of life, you're probably going to get it. And if all you want is to be a little bundle of potential that never realized itself, that's what you're going to be. But you have potential to become something incredible. The other thing this potential made me come back to mind was, you know, being in high school when learning about potential and kinetic energy. You guys remember potential and kinetic energy? Or am I getting way too scientific now? But the difference, basically, potential energy is the potential something has for the type of energy it can produce. And kinetic energy is the energy of movement, while the energy is actually putting out that, that well, the, the object is putting out that energy. You know, so the example would be, you know, if I hold a bowling ball up here, the simplest kind of potential energy is just what gravity does to an object. I'm holding a bowling ball right here. It's not moving. It has no kinetic energy. But you know the kind of potential energy it has, and you would show it if I held it over your head, right? <laughs> so it's like if I'm holding a bowling ball over your head, that's a lot of potential for pain. And even though that thing isn't moving, it ha- it's not doing anything, you'd be gone. You know, you'd shield yourself, you'd move. Um, but, you know, if I was holding a little ping-pong ball over your head, you're like, go ahead and drop the thing. Who cares? You know, so different things have different levels of potential energy. And in the science world, in the physics world, the properties or the mass of that object determines the kind of kinetic energy it's capable of and how much potential energy that it has. But here's the difference between physics, potential, and kinetic energy and the kind of potential Jesus is talking about. You know, the the bowling ball example, that object is held to its own qualities, its own mass, its own aerodynamics. And the qualities of that object make up its potential energy and what could turn into kinetic energy, okay? But that's not true with us. And it's kind of not true with a seed either in certain ways, you know, and what a seed is capable of. But I think the problem is when we think of our potential sometime. We look at ourselves, and we say, what are my talents? What, am I, what can I do? How much money do I have? How much faith do I have in this moment? Or whatever. We may look at our qualities of ourself and think that's what we're capable of. 
But Jesus is talking about something that's way, way more than the sum of its parts. And, and when we're talking about our potential, you need to realize the potential that you have within you. It is not beholden to your qualities. It is not held back by your skill. It is not held back by what you're capable of or how much money you have or how much influence you have in this moment. Those things do not define your potential. Your, your potential is defined only by Christ, only by God. It's beyond what you can imagine. So when I say realize your potential and realize that you have potential, know that there is no ceiling on that potential, which is pretty incredible. You know, Who would guess if, if an alien showed up to Earth, never having known anything about how Earth works, and they don't have seeds on their planet, and you held a little apple seed up to them, and you say, what could this do? Yeah, and if they had never seen a seed grow into an amazing plant, they would have no clue that that was possible because they're just not familiar with how that kind of thing works. You know, and, and so often we look at ourselves in the physical way and you just have no idea the, the potential that you have and what you can be. And this is the key, I think, to not just recognizing the fact that we have potential, but to help us go after that. Because I think one of the biggest problems are, you know, we, you know, what, I guess, what is it that holds us back? from being everything that God has created us to be. First of all, getting to that point is challenging because Jesus makes no bones about it. He says, you want to get to that point, it requires a death, right? It requires you dying to who you are. You can't continue to be who you are and then also be who I've created you to be. Those two things are not compatible. They don't happen. So you have to die to yourself. So it is a challenging thing. But what we need to get good at today is not just realizing that we are potential and that we have potential and that Jesus is kind of calling us a seed, if you will, something that could become something way bigger than you could ever imagine. So not just realize that we have potential, but we have to find some way to motivate ourselves to go after that potential, to be driven, to say, God, I want to be who you want to be. And that's got to be some kind of driving force because what drives one of us to death really what are we Jesus said take up your cross and follow me what would make a person do that <laughs> you know and I think one of the things we need to do is just every once in a while sit back and compare what we are now with what was what is possible I don't know if we could fully do that because I don't know where God wants to bring me. I can't even begin to imagine. He can do far more than you can think or imagine, right? You've heard that passage before. So I don't, I don't know what 10 years look like for me, but I do know that God doesn't want me to be here in 10 years. Okay, maybe I'll be standing here preaching in 10 years. I don't know that. You know what I mean, though. Be this person that I am right now. I know that he wants me to improve. He wants me to be smarter and stronger and more effective in his ministry and whatever it is he's called me to do. I, I don't know the limits of that, I also know that God probably has bigger things for me right now than I'm achieving. I bet you 10 years ago, if I could have given everything to him the way I was supposed to, I'd be, I, I couldn't imagine what would be possible right now. But we have to do this. I think we have to constantly put that in front of ourselves and say, what could I be doing for Christ? What could five years look like from now? What could 10 years from now? And allow God to speak to that. 
Allow him to put that into you. I've, I've heard the word vision, you know, having a vision, something that you're going after. I've heard that described or defined as a picture of the future that produces passion. Do you have a picture of your future that produces some kind of passion in you? What is possible? What can you give? And it really then, if you, ha- if you work with that mindset, it brings it down to every decision of your life. And you realize what I do now matters so much in the future. That's what Jesus was saying. He's saying, look, this isn't going to be hard, what's about to happen. But if I don't die, if I don't cease to be what I am right now, the new lives that are capable are not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Every decision we make right now is so important on what could happen someday. Great illustration of this I heard. I, I actually heard Dave Ramsey talk about this. I don't know if you, any of you guys have been through some of the financial stuff that he does, and it's really helpful stuff if you haven't. I, I recommend it. But one story he tells about how your decisions now affect your future, and he's talking finances, but it, it applies to any area of life, really. He said that he had a friend who, um, for a very long time, had his eye on this, this certain Mercedes. He wanted this Mercedes car. Now, this is back in the 80s, and it was a $40,000 car. So back in the 80s, $40,000 buys you a nice car. Not as much today. You can still get a you know, new car for 40000 but it was a lot more car back then. So he had his eye on a $40,000 Mercedes. But this was a guy that didn't believe in debt. He didn't want to borrow money. He wanted to save up. And he had certain standards he had set for himself. You know, when I have this much net worth and when I have saved up so I can pay for it, I'm going to go buy this car, right? And uh, finally, I think it was 1986, it was an 86 Mercedes, he had gotten to that point. He had enough money put away. He could buy the car outright. So he went to the lot. He drove it home. And his wife's looking at it. And, man, that's, that's what you wanted. This is it. This is beautiful. This is what you've worked so hard for. And she was so excited for him. And, you know, the guy even said, I sat down, and, you know, there it is on the steering wheel, that Mercedes logo, just looking at me. He's like, it felt amazing. And he said, but I made the mistake of open up my phone. I say phone, you can't do that now. Open up the paper probably back then. And just to see what, like, mutual funds and investments were doing. And he's like, you know, it came down to it. I just couldn't spend the money. I just, I've worked so hard for it. I just, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. So he's like... Brought it back to the dealership, bought myself a $6,000 used car, and went back to work, you know, and uh, kind of just forgot about it. He said, but what I did do is I took that 40000 and I, I just I put it in um, uh, a semi-safe mutual fund. I just invested the money, right? And he said, I never added anything to it. I just left it there. And he said, years later, I pulled up to a stoplight. And there was that car, the 86 Mercedes that I wanted. Someone pulled up next to me. And he's like, oh, it was a blast from the past. There it was. And at this point in his life, I think he was driving a much more expensive car. (laughs) But he looks over and he he yells over to the guy. He said, man, years ago, that was my favorite car. And I almost bought one of those. And the guy's like, oh, I I just found it. I just bought it the other day. It's a a new car for me. And, and you know, then the guy yells back. He says, if you don't mind, like, how much did you get it for? Because I think he was maybe interested in buying one for the heck of it, you know. like, oh, I got a great deal. I got it for 6,000 bucks, <laughs> you know, because you know that's what cars do with money, right? Uh, and uh, so he, he's like, I go home and I pull up the information for that investment that I had made, you know, so that Mercedes, if I had spent $40,000 on it years later, it would have turned into $6,000. He goes, I looked into the investment and that was now up to $300,000 <laughs> over those that many years. 
And so he's like, that single decision in my life. Now, look, if your decision is enjoying driving the car for years and years, go for it. But know what that will cost you. <laughs> you know, know what that will turn into. And uh, so the decision he made on that day could have either turned 40000 into 6000 or into 300000 He might have made the right decision. At least in hindsight, I think he was happy with his decision. So, but what kind of decisions do we make with our lives and our spiritual lives and our choices that we make every single day that are the 6,000 result? And, and God's looking at it and saying, if you would just be willing to make this choice, if you would take this step, do you know what that could turn into? Do you know the potential that has for the lives that that could change? For your life, your family's lives, your, your co- whatever, that, whatever that potential is, You know, God is actually able to see that big picture. He knows that this choice will bring you down there, and this choice will just shoot you to the moon. And how often do we, how often do I, make the choice of buying the car, which depreciates quickly, (laughs) you know? And uh, so it's just one of those stories that reminds you. It's one of those stories that that helps me to, to remember to compare what I could be with what I am right now, to motivate every choice that I make in this moment. And, and how fully we need to rely on God for that. And just, just how important that is. Um, because he can see the big picture. He, he knows what's going to happen 10 years, 15 years down the road with the decisions that we make right now. So how fully do you rely on God for those kind of decisions? How much do you let him guide you? You know, and, uh, and I don't think we need to get crazy and over-spiritualize it, because I have seen people do this. You know, some people are like, oh, the Big Mac or the Whopper today? God, what should I do? God's probably saying neither. <laughs> saying, go, you know, go get a salad or something. That's what he tells me, at least. But, <laughs> you know, so, um, but so it's, it's not about over-spiritualizing things, but it, 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 is about, um, it, it is about the things of this world oftentimes, versus what God is calling you out of. You know, he looks at you and he says, you are living in this world, a foreigner, an alien. You know, I've called, you're a citizen of heaven. You're not a citizen of this world. And, and how many worldly things drive us, you know? And the cool thing is, when we recognize our true citizenship, that's when we can make a difference in this world. You know, when, when, we're, when we're separated from it, but we're fully involved in it. That's when we can make the difference in it. So what are the things that hold us back? I want to link to another story that Jesus told that I think goes hand in hand so well with this, and you probably remember it. It's the parable of the seeds that were sown. So you guys remember this? It has to do with seeds, so that sounds like a similar topic. And Jesus tells a parable of of a sower that goes out and throws seed, and some of it lands in different places. And uh, some of it lands on a footpath, you know, and so that means it doesn't actually get deep down into the soil. And he says, you know, he said that represents people who hear the message of the kingdom, but they don't understand it. You know, they, they can't let it get deep into them. And so the birds come and eat the seed or the, the evil one, the enemy comes and steals that truth from you. So, you know, so maybe, so maybe this is what's causing your seed to not recognize its full potential. You know, maybe you've kept things superficial. You know, maybe you haven't just been avid about learning the truth of God. Um, you know, hey, that's another plug for my Wednesday nights. You know, come out, learn the truth of God. You have to crave knowledge of who he is and want to get that knowledge deep down inside of you. 
Um, you don't, it's just impossible to know who God is, truly know him and not want to follow him. You know, the more you know him, the more you love him. And it's just, it's such a powerful thing in our life. And I think Jesus knew that. And he said, you don't want that seed snatched away from you. Then you have to have deep knowledge of who I am. And then he goes on, he says, you know, some of that seed fell on the rocky ground and it was immediately received with joy. You know, it took some roots and all that kind of stuff. But, but it, because there was, there was rocks all on that soil, it was never able to, uh, to get good nutrients. So he says, when the hard times come, you fall away. So you may have sought some knowledge. You may have some good knowledge. It may have gotten in there a little bit. Um, but if you see as soon as things are getting hard, you start giving up on it. You start turning away. Persecution, things getting difficult. You know, that means you need to work on those roots. Get those, get those nutrients from God a little bit stronger than you are right now. And then the third example he gave, which I think is probably the one that damages the most of us, and I know it's the one that I struggle with the most. He said some of it falls into a field where there's lots of weeds growing already. And he says it does grow well, but there's so many other things around it. And you guys, if you've ever tended a garden, you know you've got to pull those weeds. Otherwise, it will affect the good stuff that you want to grow. And so this is the example Jesus is giving. And he's saying those weeds represent just the cares of the life, the cares of this world, the lure of wealth, everything around us that just draws our attention and he says, if you allow those things to pull your focus, it's going to choke out what I've given you. It's going to choke out that truth. It's going to choke out your potential. And I don't know about you, but for me, just the lore of this world and the things that it tries to shove down your face every second, every moment, you know, that's, that's where I find my biggest challenge, honestly, of holding on to it. So you have to, I think it's, look at yourself. You know, what is it that is keeping you from making those decisions that launch you to the potential that God could have you at? You know, is it that you're just not getting deep enough with God? Is it that there's just too many things in this world just pulling you in a thousand directions and you're allowing that to happen? You know, remember I said right in the beginning, that's just, and it can happen and it, and it can look like a good thing. You know, like I said, sometimes we have to do this with Christianity. We have to get so many things out of the way so we can remember the core of what God wants us to be doing. And the things that can get in the way are even things such as just doing ministry, getting busy, helping at church. You know, it's a good thing to help at church, right? But if, that, if you become so busy as a doer for God, that could choke it out. You know, I've seen so many people get so busy, and, and I've been on the edge of that so many times myself, where you're so deeply involved in ministry and heavily involved in church and doing things, you get burnt out and it just wears you down and you end up resenting God, resenting God's people, resenting the church. It's like, and yes, so even doing ministry can do that to you. So that's why it's so important to, uh, to, really, to really focus on God, to keep those layers pulled back and remember the essential and what is that essential? He reminds him of that in the next line here. And he basically says, anyone that wants to be my disciple must follow me. So that, that is that essential. You know, you want to have knowledge of who Jesus is? Follow him. Okay? You want the cares of this world to kind of disappear a little bit? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and follow him. 
You know, you want your nutrients and your roots to be strong so that you can withstand any kind of persecution or hard times. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's, that is the two words that he said to his disciples often. <laughs> when he first met them, what did he say to them? Go to church. No, he didn't say go to church. Read your Bible. He didn't say read your Bible. Those are good things. Don't give up on them. But he said, follow me. That was his call to his disciples. Follow me. And then as that following happened, you know, it's amazing because those 12 disciples, so many of them, the Bible describes them just giving up their life, dropping things and following him. Pretty amazing when you think about it, that they were willing to do that. But as they followed him, it got harder. It got more challenging. You know, they, they all of a sudden began to realize, wow, I'm following someone who's not too popular. <laughs> you know, I'm following someone who doesn't think the way I do all the time. Peter struggled with that sometimes. You know, Jesus wants to be a servant and wash his feet. And heck no, God, you can't do that to me. Don't touch my feet. How, you know, Judas struggled with that. He didn't like how Jesus dealt with people spending money. And, you know, and Jesus had, Judas had issues that drove him to actually betray Jesus. You know, so like it was a challenge. But the biggest challenge of all, you know, is right before he's facing the cross. Here it is right here. He's in Jerusalem just before he faces the cross. And once again, he says, follow me. Like I said earlier, I don't know if they fully grasped the impact of that, what he was actually saying to them in that moment. But I bet you a few nights later, when he was being led to the cross, and every one of them abandoned him. I wonder if they felt it then. I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, so many times I look at Scripture, I'm like, I wish I was know what was going on in their head. <laughs> but I, I just, I wonder, you know, as, as, their disciple, as Jesus' disciples and he was taken to the cross and he died and he's in the grave, he's not resurrected yet, they were huddled together, and I wonder if they're sitting there saying, Jesus just got done telling us to follow him. And as soon as it got hard, we turned tail. We ran the other way. Peter's saying, I denied even knowing him. You know, John ended up at the foot of the cross, so he might have been a little bit like, yeah, these guys are losers. But, you know, but no, I just, I wonder how that hit them in that moment. He just got done saying, follow me. So follow me in its essence is an easy thing. But actually playing that out is difficult. It's hard. I wish I could say being a Christian is an easy choice, <laughs> and it's not. And if anyone has told you that it's an easy choice, that it'll lift all these burdens off your life, they're lying. They don't know what they're talking about, or they've misrepresented it. It is the most worthwhile thing you will ever do. You will never regret doing it, not even once, not even close to once. You'll never regret it. So maybe a, a twinge of it every once in a while. You know, even Jesus, I guess, struggled with that when he was in the garden. He's saying, God, if there's any way <laughs> that this cup could be taken from me, if there's any way, I'm all ears, I'm listening. You know, so even Jesus had that struggle and had to fight through that. It's not, it's not easy. But I, 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 can, I can bet everything that I am that there isn't, even though Jesus went through one of the most grueling things a person's ever gone through, I don't think he regrets it, you know. You know, and, and even when we're being the idiots that we can be, <laughs> I still don't think he regrets it. You know, he, he loves us so much. So my encouragement to you today is, are you willing, or my, my question, I guess, is, are you willing to take the road less traveled so that the result can be something you can't even dream of? 
Or are you just content to continue walking on the, the easier path, the wide path, the one that most people choose in given moments, and being okay with mediocre results, being satisfied with where you're at right now? So I don't think that I am. You know, I, I know I've made the easy choice way too many times. I look back and wished I hadn't. And this is why we need to be proactive about this. Because I guarantee you, if you wait until the moment, if you wait until that situation or that circumstance presents itself to make your mind up, you're probably going to make the easy choice. Because it's hard to make the right choice in an emotional moment. It's hard to make the right choice when things are in that hard time, right then and there. So that's why it's important for you right now to say, I will follow Jesus, even to the cross. Whatever that looks like in my life, it's a non-negotiable. I will follow Jesus. You know, it's, 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 I guess it's similar to what a good marriage is built upon. And it's something I say in every wedding I do. You know, look, I say marriage is, I think, 5% love and 95% commitment. <laughs> you know, it is, it is you being willing to say, no matter what, we're here. We're in this thing. I am committed to you. You know, I say it in every wedding I do. I say, as they're standing there and looking at each other, I say, there will be days in your life where the last thing you'll want is to be standing next to each other. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, somebody in the crowd inevitably says amen at that moment, and then you get slapped. But, you know, so, but it's, it's, it's what makes a good marriage work, and it's the same thing of what makes a good relationship with God work. It is you ahead of time saying, I commit everything that I am. It's you taking a look at your life and saying, I don't want God to be that final puzzle piece. I don't want to see him as just trying to fill in the blanks that I couldn't fill in myself. I don't want him to be a part of my life. I need to let all of it die. I need to understand that becoming a Christian isn't just a slight change of trajectory in my life. It is a death and a resurrection. It is me dying to my old self. It is me looking at the things in my life that... I may love, I may enjoy, they may bring me happiness in the moment, but to realize that all they're doing is keeping me an insignificant little seed. All they're doing is just keeping that potential locked up inside of me, the amazing potential of what a seed that's in me could become. And I'll tell you what, that'll, that'll start something turning inside of you. You'll start to get angry at those things. You'll start to say, why do I even care about those things? What, what are they producing in my life other than a second of joy, a second of happiness in this moment? And, and your perspective on everything will begin to change. But it has to be proactive. It, you know, it can't be, I'll make the decision when it happens. I'll wait until it gets there. Because you'll probably make the wrong one because it's too hard. Make the decision now. Make the decision now to follow Jesus. And I promise you once again, as you continue on that journey, as you make it harder, for, you know, as you walk down, it's, it's going to get more difficult. That next step might be harder than the one before it, but every one of them is going to be so valuable. But, but let me leave you with a piece of hope. I know this is a really hard message here. You're like, wow, this sounds like great today. I'm so happy you spoke all this. But one of the most beautiful things about who God is is, you know, Jesus, the first things, the first words he said to most of his disciples were, follow me. One of the last things he said to his disciples was, follow me, before he went to the cross. And every one of them abandoned him. Every one of them abandoned him. But what does Jesus do after that? You know, one of the, then, the final, final things he says before he goes back up into heaven, he says, 
you know, go and make disciples. Like, I haven't given up on you. I told you guys to follow me. I told you you have to take up your own cross. And you all left. But he redeems them. And that's just such a beautiful thing. So the cool thing today is you may be sitting here looking at your life and say, man, I've been making all the wrong choices. Jesus will never allow that to stop your potential from still becoming a reality. You may have been missing it up until this point, but tomorrow doesn't have to be the same. And I just love that about Jesus. I love that he went through some crazy stuff with his disciples, but he redeemed that within them. And after deserting him in his darkest and deepest moment, you know, he's at the garden and even his three closest friends were falling asleep when he's in such agony over what's about to happen. You know, I don't, how many of us would stick by those friends? You know, I've heard so many people when, you know, they've helped someone or been nice to someone and that person didn't say thank you or whatever. They say, that's it. I'm done helping people. It's over. You know, they just give it up completely. I've, I've heard that from so many people. I've probably said it myself. Man, aren't we glad that's not Jesus? I'm glad that's not Jesus. So I, want, I need you to hear this this morning. There is nothing you've done in your past that has, that has ruined your potential. It's still there. That seed still exists. The question is, are you willing today to cease being who you are right now so that you can be the greater thing God wants you to be? The things you're holding on to, it's silly. It's absolutely silly sometimes. You know, imagine a little seed up here saying, I like it the way I am, and I don't want to be that really cool, fruitful thing. I'm like, why not? That's what God's looking at. He's like looking at you. He's saying, do you know what you could be? Why are you holding on to it? What is so great about this that you can't give it up? I have something so much better for you. So are you willing? Are you willing to follow him to any extreme, whatever that means? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And let's just uh, close our eyes and, and just enter into a moment of prayer here. Lord, I thank you, first of all, that although every single one of us are so flawed, myself included, every one of us have probably done everything imaginable to try to ruin the potential that's in us. That potential still exists, and you still want to see us blossom into the, into the new creation that you have in mind. I don't understand that. I don't understand any level of that. I don't understand your level of dedication to us. But I thank you for it today. And I just pray that you'll help us to be able to live in that place of grace, to accept that grace for what it is. And with that understanding, God, I just pray for the seed that is every single person in this room. God, I pray that we can begin to see glimpses Put that into us. Begin to put pictures into our hearts and into our minds that produce a passion to go after what you have for us. Give us a vision. Give us your vision. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. And God, give us the strength today. Give us the strength to not love our life in this world so much that we will ultimately lose it. But God, to be willing to be, to die to ourselves and to embrace the new creation, the new creation that can produce so many lives, that can impact this world so much more than just in our own tiny little sphere right now. God, I thank you that our potential is not limited 
to our personal qualities of who we are and what makes us us. Our potential far exceeds that. And God, I pray that this, this picture that you're putting in every person's eye right now of who you want them to be, of who you created them to be, of the, the thing that they can grow into will be a motivating factor to give up what needs to be given up, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to follow you into anything, through anything. And the great thing is, is as we follow you, as we take those difficult steps, God, you've made some incredible promises along the way. You have said things like that when we encounter hard times, we can just consider it joy because you're there with us. I'm reminded of the story when the disciples were caught at sea and you were sleeping in the boats and these were fishermen who knew the waters. They knew it well and they feared for their lives. It must have been a bad storm. You woke up and you saw that they were fearing for their lives and you said, why are you afraid? Where's your faith? And then you calmed the storm. God, help us to realize today that if we're following you, fear has no place. If you're there, if we're with you, we don't have to fear the things that look so challenging. You've promised that they'll just make us better, that they'll just make us stronger. God, with all of this in mind, I pray that you'll help all of us to make that proactive decision today that we want to be all of what you've created us to be, to let go of those things, those puzzle pieces that we've put in place in our life that think that we've made ourselves who you want us to be. But God, we want to just wipe all that way and let you start with a clean canvas to be your new creation. Thank you for that. If you guys can just stand with me. I'm just going to give you an opportunity to respond. The worship team is going to pray here. And uh, there's people who are prepared to pray with you at the altar if you'd like to come down. But I want you to just make this statement today. And you say, I need to die to myself. There's certain things in my life I've been holding on to. But I realize now that I'm a seed. And that unless this seed ceases to be what it is right now, it can never be what God wants to to create in me. This new creation, this incredible potential. And this can be anybody. I don't care where you are in your walk with God. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've never initiated a relationship with him where you say, I will follow you, Jesus. Or maybe you've been following him for 60 years. I'm guessing there's probably something in your life that you say, that thing needs to die. And I don't know how to kill it. I don't know how to, I don't how, I don't know how to nail it to the cross today. But Jesus does. And if you, and if you want his help to renew you today, to take away those things that are stealing your potential, that are stealing who God wants you to be. I invite you to come down to this altar, pray with somebody today, let them know that we can pray with you and to help to just find out what it truly means to be a new creation in Christ. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.